0: Welcome to the podcast, (laughs) good morning, yeah I'm happy to have you here it's uh it's funny because you and I work together pretty frequently so I was just saying earlier that any of our conversations could have been a podcast episode and this one (laughs) probably isn't going to be any different except we clicked record so uh, Matt tell us um, who you are what you do and uh, what impact you're looking to make on the world
1: yeah hello uh hello world my name is Matthew Sandell. I'm a behavioral neuroscientist here at DX Learning. And I'm very lucky because the impact I want to make in the world is actually the same as what my company is, is aiming to do, and that's to wipe out bad leadership. I think we can all think back to a time when we maybe had a bad boss or bad moment with some of our managers and how that really affected us and how that, in many cases, maybe we're still carrying that on our shoulders as we're going into work and it becomes a burden. When we think about mm-hmm. the workplace we spend so much of our lives at work so trying to make that as beneficial as effective and developmental as we can um, the majority of leaders don't have leadership training and they're put into leadership positions so however we can arm them with the ability to change their people positively that's our mm-hmm. that's our goal and that's my goal too
0: i love it i love it and you know i will just say that dx learning has the best, the best um, leadership development training program that I have seen in the market. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why we partnered together, because I think it is really just, it's it's very rich. It's based in, in research and neuroscience, which um, I would love to hear more about. I mean, I know all about it because we work really closely together, but I want you to kind of paint the picture as to why we're even talking about neuroscience in the context of leadership
1: yeah i mean we have this this big beautiful organ in between our ears here <laughs> that really uh it affects who we are and, and who we're with and our surroundings and my big foray into neuroscience was trying to figure out how can i create positive habits for myself um and then ergo how do i create those habits in others And that's how i kind of stumbled upon dx positive psychology how can we take what we're learning about the brain which is just a constant every single year we're just learning so much more talk about neuroplasticity the ability to change growth mindset all of these things kind of encapsulate the the human experience so the one thing that binds us all is we're all human and we all have a brain so how can we use the neuroscience in our brain to be more effective so really the first step for me was hey i want to change my life for the better how can i create positive habits in my life and neuroscience was was actually the answer to that and then uh soon realized if i (laughs) want you can only do two things with neuroscience it's almost like a math degree you either do something in economics or you're a math teacher with neuroscience it was hey are you going to be clinical are you going to be operating on on brains that was my original thought i wanted to be a neurosurgeon Mm -hmm after realizing that would be eight to 10 years of school, (laughs) I decided I want a job and I want to focus on something now. So that's what I kind of jumped into um, where I'm at now, which is professional development. And it all started with the curiosity about myself and habits and what's going on in the brain and how you can apply that to make yourself and your surroundings better, more impactful.
0: Yeah, and we, we talk a lot about on this podcast about leadership being a responsibility and, um you know, I think one of the things that can hinder or improve leadership is uh, mindset. <laughs> and but there's also a lot of just um I don't know, I'll call them primal elements of the brain brain and how it operates that actually impacts our ability to lead well. So we may have all the the right intent uh, about leadership, where like, I want to be a leader, I want to have a team. Um, but a lot of times we find it frustrating, um, you know, to, to, to lead. And I don't know. So tell us, tell us a little bit more about why and um, why it's really actually leadership is not really a default. It's actually really tough to do from a neuroscience perspective.
1: Yeah. I'll kind of take a, a step back here. So we are operating with caveman hardware up here and we have just been you know, amassed with all this new technology and just a wonderful assortment of uh, upgrades to our to our daily lives. Unfortunately, our brain is is taking some time to to evolve with everything that is evolving around us. So we're really operating on on caveman hardware. So I always go back and say our job as a leader, uh, one of our many jobs, because leadership is is hard. It's difficult. So empathy for for any leaders listening to this this podcast. Um Going back to the the olden days, our our brain is still uh, figuring out how we can develop ourselves and get stronger in the future. I'm going to pause there. What was the original question? Because I think (laughs) it meandered Yeah,
0: no. No, that's so... We were talking... You were on the right track. So we were talking about um, why, to your point, the brain actually hasn't evolved. We haven't evolved as much as we thought we did or uh, as much as we thought we have, but the world around us has changed. So why does that make it hard for leadership in particular?
1: Yeah, our, our brain is is wired for a lot of things, but the number one protocol of the brain is to survive. and we want this thing up here to survive, but leadership um, leadership needs to be selfless. And in many cases our brain is selfish. We want this this beautiful thing up here to survive and continue. Uh, we wanna be at cognitive ease. So one of the, the models that we've developed here at, at DX, it's called the care model. So it's, it's four different uh, dimensions that we focus on. It's clarity, autonomy, relationships, and equity. And these are actually all brain cravings. So we've done a lot of research to, to show and demonstrate that these are all things that we need at work to, in order to mm. have cognitive ease. So as leaders, we need to think about how can I provide clarity to my people, autonomy, relationships and equity, because this is what all brains as humans, uh, we crave and we need to be successful and impactful and, and really to leave work and going home and either separating those two lives or not having one come into the other and affecting our lives even more than than it already does, and hopefully not in a dramatically negative way.
0: Yeah, and, and this kind of gets into the, um, the topic of psychological safety, which I know is mm-hmm. a topic that you probably heard the word, or you know, I I talk a lot about it on this podcast, but um, it is it is it is a word, and we have to really put meaning behind it. So I actually see um, the care model as a way to like from a tactical perspective operationalize psychological safety because psychological safety, in 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 essence, it's you know I'm able to you know speak up and be my authentic self without any retribution from the people around me, but that kind of gets down to just cognitive ease, being able to work in flow throughout my day without fear, essentially, um, without doing mental cartwheels. So (laughs) how does care, I guess if people are looking for like, well, how do I do psychological safety? How does care kind of help with that?
1: That's that's great. And this is uh, something we've been studying for the past few years. Uh, and isolating the different dimensions and how they can affect psychological safety. So each one of those will actually, clarity, autonomy, relationship and equity affect psychological safety. But the beauty of it is if you put them all together, um, it allows a person to bring their authentic selves to work. It's also great with with conflict. Um, There's just so many stats out there that'll show you the power of psychological safety. And really, I think you said it best, it's the logic jump is, Look, if you can put your people at cognitive ease in terms of clarity, autonomy, relationships, and equity, if you care for your people, they're going to be more likely to speak up and bring their authentic selves to work. What mm-hmm. psychological safety is not is it's it's not a nice culture, right? It's There's mm-hmm. still conflict, and there's going to be conflict at any point. The goal of psychological safety is for there to be a, a civil discourse when there is conflict, and when people are feeling the ability to bring things up that they may have not been able to previously. I think the last statistic I saw was um, 85% of people said that they had a problem bringing up a tough issue or they kept it to themselves uh, in the last month. And and think about Mm -hmm. that, especially as leaders, how are you supposed to help someone if you don't know what needs to be helped? We need our people to be speaking up as a leader. It's your job to um, positively influence your people but how are you supposed to do that if you don't know where they're at and leadership is blah 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 blah. meeting people where they're at how do you know that if they're not speaking up so there's the the power of psychological safety
0: yeah yeah and and the care model again i think is just it it's a really great way to consolidate this into a plan you know if if leaders out there are thinking like how do i create you know i've told people they can speak up right i've 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 um I've told everybody that, that we have an open door policy, but what I like to remind people is the fact that if if you don't have that base level of psychological safety, you can't just proclaim it. You can't just say yeah. you have yeah. it. Uh you have to actually build it intentionally. And you actually have to, in a way, it's kind of like building trust, um, maybe on a foundation where there wasn't some trust. So you know, just a reminder to, to leaders who are <laughs> thinking about that.
1: It's almost—I uh, like say—it's it's group trust. There are a lot of a lot of parallels. One of the keys with psychological safety is there's no end to psych You can't say I have psychological safety on my team. It's a spectrum. You say I have. I believe I have high psychological safety on on my team. The other curious uh, tidbit, and and Ryan, my colleague, were going over this was it is, a, it is a team dimension, it is a team measurement. So you need to really measure it at the team level. You can't say, I feel like I have high psychological safety. It's like, yes, kind of, but what we're really measuring is how does the team incorporate this notion of psychological safety and, and the ability to speak up.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. And of course, right in the middle of this podcast, everybody wants to mow their lawn. So I apologize for those of (laughs) you who are hearing uh, lawnmowers in the background here, but that's a great point, which I think kind of goes to this idea of inclusion. Um, And I actually think psychological safety is the hack to inclusion. So um, that's a really, really important point that you just said is you can have a team of 10 people but there may be people on the margins who do not feel psychologically safe. Um, and that's where we get into kind of the DEI conversation around equity. And I know equity is a part of the model, so that helps. Um, so tell us a little bit about how the, the letters um, work together to yeah. maybe solve that, that challenge of like, I could be psychologically safe, psychologically safe and, but you can also feel completely on the margins of a, of a group. And how do, we, how do we manage that when it comes to an include, inclusive and equitable team environment?
1: That's, that's a great question. So our philosophy is they're all in DEI is, is all important. But what we're trying to focus on is what can leaders really make an impact on? So we're focusing on the E and the I. Diversity, we need it. But there's no point of having diversity if people don't feel comfortable speaking up. The whole power of diversity is to leverage the power of multiple experiences and backgrounds to just see the world and perceive the world in different ways. It boosts creativity, um, just boosts the ability to to understand and just empathy, which is something we're missing in the workplace and consistently getting lower scores on the scores of empathy. So I think what the care model and, and psychological safety allows people to do is to one, include people, inclusion, uh, having different steps following the care model uh, to allow people to feel safe, to speak up, to feel included. Uh, we talk about equity a lot in, in our definition, it's about the being able to proportionally provide resources in, in a fair manner. So equity is not equality. You can't be the same to every single person. So what we talk about at the end of the care model is, look, everything we're talking about is, is a spectrum. It's, it's a balance that you need to walk. Some people want high amounts of clarity. Some people want low amount. I'm sure you can think of people on your team, even yourself that want a high amount of autonomy or like, hey boss, look, give me a small box. Give me the bullet points. And there's no right, there's no wrong. You can think about somebody um, who might be more operational in when it comes to relationships. Hey, I want to, I'm here to work. I'm here to work, man. Look, let's, we'll talk, we'll have a great relationship and rapport, but I don't wanna hear about what you had for breakfast. And then there's other people that, This is what I had for breakfast. My dog is is sick. This is the exact illness. And again, there's no right and there's no wrong. But you as a leader need to understand your people so you can lead them more effectively. So that's equity, that's inclusion. Uh, Diversity is it kind of trails that. And I say that for two reasons. One, uh, there's diversity no matter what on your team. So we need to just leverage the power of diversity that you might have already, which I think is more important. And then a lot of leaders, uh, are not hiring managers. So it's hard to, to focus on the diversity when you don't have your, your hand in the pie and you're actually making those, those moves yourself. All equal bearing of what you need to focus on. And it's, it's a constant, there's no end result, just like psychological safety. You can't say, I have diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's like, no. You might have high amounts, low amounts, might be a little bit different, but it is a progress that you're needing to work towards on a consistent basis
0: yes yeah and i think you brought up a really great point which is equity is not equality it's equal outcomes but equitable treatments could look different and um so i think we're very very focused on the, the D. right let's focus on hiring um Diverse talent, which I, by the way, hate that word because we're all diverse. Uh, We are literally all diverse. But I think it's also, you know, diversity is simply a realization when you're in a room and you look around and you say, we don't have the right voices in the room. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, to your point, how do you leverage the diversity within the, the organization? But if there are some large gaps, how do you start to change process and policy to ensure that you're bringing the right diversity into the room?
1: Right, and and just going back, um, the the logic to the K model is as, as as follows. And I think this will answer some of the question. Once you have clarity, and and only once you have clarity, so it needs to start with clarity, which is one of the hardest things to do, is to ensure accurate communication. There's over 160 biases in the brain, well-researched biases. actually probably thousands. Uh, over 165 well-researched leadership biases and more than likely uh, there becomes more every single year. So once you have clarity, only then can you delegate and develop your people by giving them autonomy. If you try to give someone autonomy and delegate and develop them without clarity, we call that chaos. If, I'm sure we've all experienced that. It's, hey, go do this thing. And I said, like, I don't know what this thing is, but I'm gonna go ahead and go try to do it, right? And I might not have the psychological safety to say, I, I'm unaware of what's going on. You think of uh, in back in maybe the college days when you had 200 people in the, in the auditorium and you had a question, you're like, I don't want to be that person to ask a question in front of the whole auditorium. So once you have clarity, then you can delegate and develop your people, give them autonomy. Once they're doing the work and your head isn't down doing all the strategic stuff, hopefully that gives you more time. What's the one thing all leaders uh, kind of cry, cry about, I do too, is I don't have enough time. With that time that you do get back, now that you're delegating to develop your people, you should be able to build those strong interpersonal relationships. Having empathy, being able to understand where your people are coming from. Uh, We have a great example. Uh, Chris in our operations took us, we didn't realize she didn't have babysitter on Tuesday. It took us like two weeks. She just had uh, a kid that she adopted. Like, well, okay, let's not put meetings on Tuesdays for you. That's not a big deal. We'll move them around so you can focus on your, your new kid. It's like, oh my God. I can understand now how this is going to work. So once you have clarity, delegate and develop your people, give them autonomy, understand your people by building relationships, then you can provide them equity. So that equity is about being fair. And about being fair is, hey, Kristen, we know you don't have a babysitter on Tuesday, so let's not put meetings on there. Look, get your work done when you need to get done, because there still needs work to get done. We're a very results oriented company, but it's about the people that are getting the results. So yes, you have a job to do, but it's on how you get that job done. Look, I'll give you the when, this is what success looks like, this is the criteria, you figured out how to do it yourself within, within this manner. So I think that falls really nicely into how do you leverage that model, that, that hopefully more simplistic model than a lot of leadership models out there to understand your people. And I think, I will go on record saying this, the most important part of that model is actually relationships. It's understanding your people. It's the people that get the work done, not the work that gets done. They're both important, but your people, uh, you can create a high-performing team that will just kick butt continually if you can focus on the small little things that are going to retain them and keep your high talent near you. Surround mm-hmm. yourself by the the best people and, and let them surprise you with the work that gets done.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's, um, it's so important. I think the relationships part... You know, again, to your point about DE and I is, don't even try to you know pretend that you have a culture of DE and I or a culture of inclusion, without working on this stuff. Right? I think there's a there's a <laughs> lot of. What was that?
1: Constantly, you can't yes. stop. Yes,
0: you cannot stop. It's not like you post a DE and I or a culture statement on your website and say we're we are inclusive. We are, you know. So I think there's a big performative piece to this. And, um, you know, for those who are really looking to make a change, I think the care model actually provides a beautiful um, language, um, really rich content for a leadership team in particular. I think everyone could use it, but um, the way that I've used it in the past when I was, you know, working as a, a head of people is, you know, really starting with that executive team and then bringing in the leadership team. And then bringing everybody along to start to assess that psychological safety on an ongoing basis. So it's a really rich program. Um, and I did want to mention, you know, the fact that you know it's a formula. Um, it's not these these concepts you mentioned are not like separate pieces. Like they flow together. And um, I also wanted to touch on the fact that I I, I you know I, I know this because I know the content, but the, the thing with the C, the A, the R, and the E is that psychological safety, teams that are psychologically safe, just interact with those things differently, like they actually show up differently. So we talk a lot about performance um, and threat response, or threat response performance and kind of a reactionary response, or that survival response, right? So when it comes to clarity is under threat, or autonomy is under threat, teams that are psychologically safe just react differently. So tell us a little bit about that and how, how that works.
1: Yeah. I think the best dimension to talk about, best construct is probably autonomy. So you think as stimuli comes into the brain, um, it really hit three, three parts. There's three main parts of the brain. So you have your, your old brain, which is your reptilian brain, which is just, it's, it's freeze flight or it's, it's, it's fight. So stimuli comes through the brain. Uh, it'll go through, and we're really threat scanning machines. We, we, We always have been and we always will be, except now the threat might not be a saber-toothed tiger, it might be your boss or Mm -hmm. something else that's happening at work. So as we look through autonomy, uh, as threats will come through, what we see in a psychologically safe team is people will actually, if they're they're feeling like they are psychologically safe, they'll they'll speak up and they'll challenge the status quo. They'll say, hey, just because we've done this a million times before, which is, My least favorite sentence is well we've done this a thousand times before look there's always ways you can improve so people as stimuli comes through if it's if it's a threat and they feel safe they're going to be more on hey i'm going to challenge this let's see if we can get even better on the flip side you have people as stimuli will come through that or be just in the survival mode so the brain is just look i just need to survive i i don't want to do anything else i will comply and i will disengage So we're seeing a lot of people, and we talk about motivation and engagement. A lot of times it's because they feel like, look, I'm just here to survive, not to Mm -hmm. thrive. So we have these two different, this dichotomy of, hey, if I'm feeling safe, this is what's gonna happen, challenge the status quo. If I feel unsafe, this is what's gonna happen. I'm just gonna comply, disengage, put my head down and, and get the work done. And as leaders, what do we want more of? And we always say, it's not a leader's job to create an army of followers, an army of yes men. Hey, look, I'll comply, disengage, whatever you say, boss. I'll get it done. We want to create an army of leaders that'll say, "Hey, I thought of this new creative way to get this done. It'll save our efficiency, uh, maximize it by forty percent. We won't have to use any of this material. We can save money in this area." So it's it's just they're all intertwined so nicely. But there's always a stimuli that comes in. What are you going to do do you feel safe or you feel unsafe and obviously we want to have people feel more safe more productive uh less stress higher life satisfaction like there's really great statistics out there
0: yeah and just think about the impact to the organization to the system i mean Mm -hmm. it it is you know if you're thinking about a whole organization that lacks psychological safety the waste the potential that you have on the table and again, I will just, you know, I'll bring the DEI conversation back in here. But typically when an organization is not psychologically safe, people who are on the margins, it's elevated, right? Yeah. So if the organization is not psycholog- psychologically safe, your um, marginalized, underrepresented people times that by 10. So not only are you missing out on great ideas, you're missing out on different diverse perspectives um and it's just waste it's complete waste why why are we hiring these people if we're not getting you know if we're not um giving them what they need to to operate at their fullest potential
1: yeah we we want to build a world that we helped create and that's just there's a there's a bias called ikea effect which is a funny one and it states (laughs) that hey if i if i build something I'm more likely to put a higher price tag on it. It doesn't mm. have to be just... Price tag. What is that? <laughs> we have a... At the front
0: door.
1: We have a doorbell and we put on the Halloween spooky I thing.
0: love it. Do you have Vivid <laughs> by any chance? What is it? Is it Vivid?
1: Yes. Yeah, so we have... Yeah, we have the same wonder do we have the Halloween? Too. Yeah, we have the Halloween. So that was the uh Yeah, happy Halloween, everybody.
0: Happy Halloween. <laughs> um
1: we wanna we wanna build a world we help create. So how can you if you think about it with psychological safety, if you can increase and by the way, it's 76%. There's a great study that just came out and it said psychological safety, high amounts of it, will predict mm. 76% more engagement. Who doesn't not, who doesn't want more engagement? Even if it was like 30% or 15%. The fact is if people feel like they have a hand in creating something, they're gonna put Mm. more value on it. They're gonna be more motivated, more engaged to get things done. Who who doesn't want that?
0: Yeah, no, who who doesn't want that? And, um, you know, I just, like I said, I love the work that you all are doing at DX, um, you know, you know, love the fact that we're partnering on this work um, because it is so very important to, I I keep using the word operationalize, but like truly we can't, we can't just talk about it. Like we have to give people the tools we have to, especially new leaders or, you know, even leaders who have been in place for decades. Like we have to reset the, the stage a little bit because there is research that is telling us that first of all, these things are good for business but we have people are leaving and people are voting with their feet and it's typically about toxic cultures and toxic leaders. So, if we don't get this right, <laughs> there 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 is a lot on the line. So, we have to stop talking about it and we have to start really saying, "Okay, how do we make sure we're all on the same page about one, the fact that psychological safety is truly important, that DEI is truly important." Now, let's really work with with research and a model that will help us apply this and make this a reality within our organization that we can actually measure, um, which is a very different, you know, it, that is that is commitment, that is commitment, really getting to that point of action and implementation.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the hardest parts in our entire industry is what is the ROI? And how do, how do you measure the ROI? Because if you, if you look at so many other uh, companies that will hire out similar to what we do, but they're just on the business side. It's like I can increase your revenue by 50%. And here's the here's why. Uh, we're dealing with humans, yes. which are <laughs> just intense variables. So the ability and, and the goal with behind care was how can we create the most simple model, yet the most effective model that if we hit these four things to do these well, we can see pays us dividends. Mm-hmm. And then psychological safety came out. And we're like, we need to marry these two. How do we marry these two? So we've done a lot of research. We have a lot of studies coming that are going to be coming out soon, um, where we're going to try to validate. Here are the measurements of psychological safety, and here's how each one of these constructs kinds of plays a role. We're working with uh, Chicago School of Professional Psychology to do that. Um, we're really excited for what's coming down the pipeline because we're we there's a fine balance between the academic and practitioner gap, and we're always trying to lean more on the side of science and i'm not going to name drop but there's a lot of leadership companies that they've had their chance look that their stuff is isn't working we've not seen droves and changes in the statistics we've actually seen them gone down and i think this is a new and compelling simple model that people can actually apply effectively consistently over time and that's that's really what we're trying to do you change one you can that person's going to change ten that person's going to change a hundred Uh, So really, we're change one, change a million.
0: Love it. Yeah. And the one thing that we didn't mention about the program and the model is the fact that um, you all use the uh, power of micro habits um, Mm -hmm. as a part of the program. So I just want to kind of paint the picture of what that is, um, which is this is not just curriculum. So imagine, you know, your leadership team going through the program, but then, you know, like oftentimes people leave a leadership development program or a conference and they're all excited and pumped up. But Then they just jump right back into their, you know, work environment where these things maybe aren't practiced consistently. So tell us more about micro habits, why that's important for learning and then how that actually gets applied.
1: I think I think you said, said it best. And that's usually the story I tell is <laughs> you're to a conference, get all excited. And then Monday you're back to work and it's like completely thrown out the window. Mm -hmm. Habits are are finicky. They're they're originally studied on how do you break habits? How do you break addiction? Uh, Now there's all this research on how do you create positive habits? How do you create positive habits in the workplace? And the, the only way you can really create positive habits is by doing something over and over again and repeating it because then your neurons will start connecting uh, that way, when you have a trigger or something that happens, your brain's going to, instead of going to the the wrong side and maybe doing some bad habits that you might have as a leader, it'll say, oh, key, key into here, we're going to start going down this pathway. And then all of a sudden, that old habit will start dying off. Those neural connectivities will actually, they're due to neuroplasticity in the brain. Your brain is constantly changing. You can create new neural pathways constantly. And one of the tools that we are going to leverage and we do leverage uh, partnering with a, a great company called Pro Habits, they have this reinforcement tool where we use micro actions. So these are, we call them two minute daily acts of kindness. Usually they take less than two minutes, but it, it's something as simple as um, in the morning, I'll say, hey, here's here's a quote, here's, here's a funny picture, and here's the habit that we'd like you to practice this micro action. So it might be something like, hey, go find something new about one of your coworkers today? Something simple, right? Mm-hmm. And that that one would be tied into the relationship construct of care. How do you get to know your people even more so you can lead them better? So then you'd say, hey, I can do that today. You get a chance to do it. At the end of the day, you'll get another uh, notification and it'll say, were you able to do it? Yes or no? That's cool. And if you can't do it, no worries. You can try again the next day. Uh, so we, we built this multiple modalities of micro actions that will tie back into the care model or specific program that we're trying to work at. Psychological safety is a big one. So we have a psychological safety track that people can go through where they practice these small little interactions. And it's small steps, but these small steps will be constantly uh, adapting and changing yourself. So these new neural pathways, once once the program is over, you'll actually be able to say, Instead of going down the left side, which I always go, my brain is now telling me I'm going to go to the right side, which is the more likely habit to positively influence others. So let's let's keep kind of going down that side.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's at the end of the day when it comes to learning, we just have to we have to do it. We we know that we know that we have to actually apply these things. Um, you know, much of learning happens uh, in action. And the other thing that I really like about the pro habits is that you can share stories with the community that you've gone through the training with. So, you know, imagine your leadership team of 20 people, everyone's kind of around the same time doing the same micro habits um, or micro actions, and you're putting that into a platform and people are sharing stories. So now you're actually creating additional learning Mm -hmm. to say, I tried this and this is what happened. Uh, I failed at it. And you're also creating vulnerability. I feel like with the, the leadership team, because now people are sharing their kind of deepest, darkest fears about leadership. And I think the the, the concept of community is so underrated when it comes to leadership. Um, a lot of the, the groups that I work with or, or organizations I work with are like, yeah, no, we have, you know, this training, but we never talk about it. Like everyone goes off to do their own training. And then do they come back and share experiences? Because um, that is also, you know, we're social learning beings. So community, social learning is a really important part of this, um,
1: this journey too. Yeah. The more, and especially because when you're with your peers, you can really see their best practices and how it applies to your specific workplace. So in many cases, leadership could be a a general topic, but once you tie it into, Hey, here at DX, this is something that I apply on this one over. Well, that's going to be way more likely for someone to perk up and say, oh, that's something that I can do too. So mm-hmm. just the ability to share best practices in a specific company setting is huge. And you said it, it's it's the community and it's the culture that you build where people do feel comfortable being vulnerable, sharing their best practices and then sharing their, their, their worst practices, their failures, because that's a great learning opportunity. If, if I fail at something, I don't want my team to fail. I'm gonna let them know, hey, here's something that I've learned today. Uh, you guys, I don't want you to have to go through it too. Is how mm-hmm. we can move better, more effectively in the future.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, I could have this conversation all day with you, Matt. Um, we <laughs> talked about a lot. We talked about the brain. We talked about neuroscience and how that impacts the way we lead and how we lead and the care model, which uh, your organization has developed to to help kind of combat and maybe hack the brain a little bit so that we could be better leaders. The goal. Uh, and then you know, I just think about the idea of like how we actually learn, how do we actually create better leaders and wipe out bad leadership. And so I just want to end with one more final question, which is what would a world look like with no bad leaders in it? <laughs> Since that is like your life's work. Uh, what what would that look like? Paint the picture for me, for us.
1: I think everyone would be motivated and engaged and, and happy to go to work. You'd wake up every day saying, I wonder what I can learn today. I wonder what I can learn from my leader, from my, from my peers, from my direct reports, it would be a entire world that wants to learn more and apply these learnings to to benefit uh, all of humanity. If you everyone had good leaders, I think we I genuinely believe this as, as a human race would become more of a, we're, we're human. We're not USA versus X, Y, Z. We're not white versus X, Y, Z. We're not anything male versus it's just becomes we're humans and we need to try to benefit all of ourselves. And I think that's the power of leadership and leadership. Uh, big L is the ability to positively influence others. So if you are just constantly looking for ways to positively influence others, I think that the sky's the limit and not even, not even that it's the, the universe. I hope that it can start bringing people together, uh, more effectively.
0: All right. Well, we have some work to do, Matt.
1: (laughs) We have a lot of work to do. Yes. Uh, Thank you. Lots of job security.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. We have, we have a whole lifetime to work on it. So, uh, Matt, I just want to thank you for taking the time and where can, um, folks find you or, or DX learning, um, you know, we're, we're, we'll put things in the show notes, but let us know uh, where we can find you.
1: Yeah, um, happy to reach out on LinkedIn, just Matthew Sandell. I think have pretty uncommon last name, so you should be able to find me pretty quickly, but happy to talk about any of these topics and more. This is really a, a passion for me. So Angela, thank you for for having me. I hope you can do this again uh, in, the, in the near future and talk about some other fun topics.